Welcome to Daily Kosa's The Brief, our weekly show about politics. Here, we'll discuss the issues that are driving the news as we fight for a more progressive America. I am Marcos Molitsis, the founder of Daily Kos and your co-host, along with senior political writer Carrie Eleveld. If you want to join the conversation, we record the podcast live on YouTube and Facebook every Tuesday at 1.30 Pacific, 4.30 Eastern. Enjoy the show. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this week's edition of Daily Coast The Brief. It's our weekly show about politics. I'm Marcos Melissa. I'm here with co-host Carrie Aleveld. We haven't had a chance to be together. I mean, we, a couple of weeks ago, we got one, but between vacation and, and some time off and medical leave. Uh, so it's good to have <laughs> here you. Here we are. To have the, the gang back together, get the core team working together. There Today, we go. we're, we're going to have Angelo Corazon of Media Matters as our guest. He is the CEO and president of Media Matters, which is the foremost media critic organization in the United States. Angelo himself is probably, yeah, I would say he is the nation's foremost expert on Fox News and how damaging it is to our democracy. So we're going to be talking about how Fox News uh, carries Vladimir Putin's propaganda here in the United States. Uh, we're going to talk about how Fox News really perverts our democracy. The elections are coming up on issues of race, on gender. Fox News is absolutely the worst. So we'll really start to dig into that. But before he comes on, Carrie, you've really been writing a lot about, about you've been looking at the polling ahead of 2022. And yeah, right now, everybody's focused on Ukraine and their focus, you know, last couple of weeks on the Supreme Court nomination and, and confirmation process. The election, we're actually entering primary season. There's going to be primary elections happening. And just on the other side of that is the general election. I mean, we're almost, we're almost into, into summer. I mean, it's going to go like this. And do you get the sense at all that there's an actual campaign happening anywhere? Has it started? I sure as heck hope so. I don't know. All I see in the press is Democrats running and ducking for cover. And all I see from mainstreamers, mainstream reporters, of course, is this narrative about about, you know, elections passed when the White House has been, you know, the when when a party has had the White House and had uh, especially two along with it, two chambers of Congress and how ominous, ominous that is and how horrible and blah, blah, blah. And I'm just, I, you know, I read, the, I read this New Republic piece the other day. I skimmed through it. And one of the things they said was there was I, they quoted, I think, a political science professor was like, yeah, we've never been we've never had an election on the heels of a pandemic and an insurrection along with a reordering of the, you know, global order. You know, <laughs> it's like this is this is completely ahistorical. I'm not saying that, you know, it couldn't be it's it's going to be it, it, it's probably going to be tough sledding for Democrats. But sorry, go ahead. You, no, you it's ahistorical in the, in the same way that 2002 was in the aftermath of 9-11, which, again, was a reordering of the world order. It was wartime. Um, in those instances, in that case, in 2002, Republican Party and George Bush actually bucked the historical trends and picked up seats in that right. midterm election. It doesn't happen very often. And in normal times, with Joe Biden at 38 percent approval rating or, you know, high 30s, I'd say, yeah, we're, we're, in, we're in some trouble, right? right? Things are different. And you didn't even mention Donald Trump. No, right? I didn't because even the, mention Donald Trump. Right. Because the reason that incumbent party fares so poorly is because it becomes a referendum on that new president. And right. the actions never measure up to the campaign rhetoric because our system's designed to like let nothing happen, right? Where Joe Manchin and Kristen Cinema can stymie a majority in the Senate, right? The system itself works against progress. So president comes in with all these promises and lofty aspirations. And then people are like, well, what happened? And so, right. you, you know, you hammer the input. But that's assuming that people are focused on the incumbent. What right. Donald Trump has done is he's made it 2020 all over again. It's a campaign that is going to be in large part a rehashing of the 2020 election. And that sort of mixes things up. Does it mean that that we're going to win? like we did in 2020? Not necessarily, but it means that there's another wild card. And then you talk about the Supreme Court getting rid of Roe v. Wade in the summer sometime. There's so many wild cards that it took, remember in 2016, all the polls had Donald Trump losing, right? It, it, there's just, he was unpopular. You're like, there is no way he can win. He wins because everything went right for him. 
He, he threw in, you know, a, a straight flush. That's what 2020, I mean, that's the hope for 2022. I'm not saying it's going to happen. I'm saying that if all the cards come out correctly, we actually have a real chance to pick up seats. This is not a guaranteed loss. Yes, but- and I would just, let me just add that mainstream, the, a lot of these mainstream overviews, right? A lot of them start with this his, these historical references about how bad, you know, midterm elections are for the party that's in power, et cetera. It, but they almost never get into the specifics of the personalities of someone, you know, like Herschel Walker or um, of, you know, Donald Trump making all these, uh, you know, endorsements of people like Sean Parnell. Oh, he had to drop out of that Pennsylvania Senate race because he was an alleged wife beater and lost uh, custody of his children. You know, I mean, like these are real things happening on the ground. These are real personalities. It's not just, you know, they're not just voting on Biden. They're going to be voting on real personalities. And some of the personalities the Republicans are already putting up, especially in the Senate races, but we're about to see more of what they're putting up in these in these swing districts. These people are a little off the rocker. I mean, you know, in the way that they were in 2010 and 2012, when Republicans were were sort of scheduled to take back the Senate and miss that opportunity twice in a row. Yeah, no, absolutely. And 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 Carrie, we're recording this on on Tuesday. Uh, today, you wrote a piece on how Joe Biden needs to actually start making enemies. <clears throat> can you can you explain think- that? Because that's actually a really interesting concept, and I think you're absolutely yeah. right. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, just as, this is just in the um, in the context of making this a choice between Democrats and Republicans right now, you know, and and we're still in this cycle of talking about uh, Democrats and can they get anything passed, right? But these uh, there was Navigator uh, survey uh, polling out today that just showed how popular the Biden's economic plans are, right? And, you know, they're super popular. And so I think, you know, Democrats need to, the White House needs to make Republicans vote against this stuff. And right now they're stalled because it's like still this one big package. And, you know, no one wants to talk about Build Back Better, but it's kind of still like hanging around. And, you know, the questions are always mansion and blah, 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 you know, Kirsten. And it's so depressing, right? Because it's it's depressing. That frame says Democrats are failing as opposed to. Exactly. As opposed to Republicans oppose these measures and, yeah. um, and that are, again, broadly, broadly popular. So uh, what I was suggesting was, and it's something that I heard while listening to the Focus Group podcast with Sarah Longwell, who we had on a while back, right? She's that never Trumper who does the bulwark and the focus group podcast, which I've kind of become a little addicted to, to be honest, Um, (laughs) but don't tell anyone. Uh, But anyway, (laughs) she had Robert Gibbs on former press secretary for Obama. And, and she was saying, well, what would you do if you needed to, you know, get voters attention in this situation? Robert Gibbs, I know quite well, because he's who I faced off against when I was in the white house briefing room as a reporter. And he said, I would I would pick a fight on some of these issues, you know, and 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 he didn't go into a ton of detail. But what he was basically saying is break a few of them out into individual pieces of legislation. And I think this would be great, like the insulin cap, the uh, capping insulin at thirty five dollars a month that the House just passed a couple weeks ago. The Senate could put that as a standalone bill on the floor rather than trying to attach it to something. Okay, Democrats are still trying to legislate. And what I'm saying is. They need to restructure the process so they're not trying to legislate necessarily. They're trying to win an election, right? And they need, instead of can we get Manchin and Cinema on board, they need to structure it so it's not the 50-vote threshold they're trying to meet. It's the 60-vote filibuster by Republicans that that they're trying to beat so that the Republicans are blocking it, right? So- the Build Back Better bill and this big economic plan, they're all they're all sort of structured so that they if, if Democrats can just get to 50, they can pass it. We all wanted that. We all wanted that for more than a year. It's not happening. So I say move to breaking out some very individual popular policies like insulin cap, like child tax credit, get them in single issue bills and put them on the Senate floor where the Republicans will filibuster them. And then instead of why can't you get Manchin and Cinema to vote for them, they won't be the threshold. The threshold will be rep- getting 10 Republicans yeah. to vote for them. So then the, the burden of passage 
shifts to why won't Republicans vote for these extremely popular uh, policies that would help Americans with inflation, et cetera. And even if they passed by some miracle enough Republicans would vote for it. You better believe Ron Johnson, Wisconsin is not going to do so. Marco Rubio is probably not going to do so in Florida, right? So it doesn't even matter if the legislation passes. If it passes, if they, great. If they pass, it's a total win for but Democrats. There are so many Republicans that will vote against that that are up for re-election for ideological reasons. There is a real difference between the parties that we still have that weapon to use against them. And, and then there's Ukraine, right? You have Donald Trump, who is carrying Putin's water for right. whatever reason. We've talked about he, it. He's a genius. He, he loves. Putin's a genius. Uh, and then you Putin's have people like Ron Johnson, you know, Wisconsin Senator and Tucker Carlson. There's like contingent in the Republican Party that's all in for Russia. There is something there for us to use, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And so, you know, I think one of the problems for Democrats has been this idea of how do we tie Republicans to Trump to Putin? Right. And Jamie Raskin, Representative Jamie Raskin, Democrat from Maryland, did a great job of this last week on the House floor. He was making a speech. He was interrupted by Marjorie Taylor Greene, who was given to uh, random outbursts, uh, you know, on the House floor in order to get coverage so she can, like, get donations and, you know, whatever, continue to be totally irrelevant. So, you know, in the middle of that, he gets interrupted by her on something, you know, where she's kind of supporting, you know, doing Putin talking points and whatever. And and Raskin, we have him. I think we have a clip of him on the House floor. Then he in the middle of his speech, he stops to give a retort to Marjorie Taylor Greene. And he uses the phrase Trump Putin axis. So let's play that clip for for our listeners. Uh, the, the general lady, I think, said something about the Russian hoax or uh, Russian collusion. I, I accept the heckling, Mr. Speaker, that that's all right. Because if she wants to continue to stand with Vladimir Putin and his brutal, bloody invasion against the people of Ukraine, she is free to do so. And we understand there is a strong Trump-Putin axis in the general lady's party. She wants to continue to stand with Vladimir Putin, Donald Trump. That is her prerogative. But please do it on your own time, forthwith. <laughs> forthwith forthwith <laughs> which everybody loves me too every once in a while i use that in my writing so i was like forthwith there we go there's a plug for my writing um in any case i think so that shorthand is fantastic and let me just give a couple reasons why number one it passes the smell test right everybody knows that trump buddied up to putin that trump was a putin bootlicker so when you say trump putin Axis, you don't have to go, you know, you don't have to imagine, well, what are we talking about here? Everybody knows that was an issue while he was president. He was trying to destroy NATO. He was trying to build up Vladimir Putin. He constantly called him a genius. He sided with Putin over, over his own FBI in terms of intelligence on the 2020 election. You know, I mean, like, or, sorry, 2016 election. So, like, this is just easy shorthand. The other thing is everybody knows that the axis is like, a, a you know, of ill repute, right? <laughs> the axis powers in World War II were of ill repute. The, the axis of evil that George W. Bush, you know, that construction, whether or not you agreed with it, you know, it was it was meant to portray something as 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 a piece of ignominy. Right. And so, like, when you think about the Trump Putin axis, like it's a, such a good shorthand for Americans because Americans already know, oh, yeah, that's bad. That's not a good thing. And what this does is it gives, you know, it gives Democrats a way, a quick way to say Trump is it was always in line and in step with Putin. He's still in line and in step with Putin. And anybody who hugs Trump is hugging Putin. It's an, it's, it's an easy shorthand to make the connection between a Republican candidate who has been endorsed by Trump or who has hugged Trump in order to win the primary and this connection to Putin and why the Republican Party still in the grip of Trump is so dangerous, continues to be such a threat to American democracy. It's such a great shorthand. It does so much and so little. Yeah, no, it's, it's quite amazing. And you know what's incredible is that polling shows that probably like 10% of Republicans actually support Putin and Russia in this war. And yet that party is still beholden to Donald Trump. And you know there's a lot of people that are feeling uneasy about that. One of the places are really, really pumping up Putin and, and, and Russia 
is Fox News. And I think it's time for us to bring our guest on. He is Angelo Corazon. He is the president and CEO of Media Matters and the nation's foremost expert on Fox News and its <laughs> and its disastrous, pernicious effects on our democracy and apparently on Ukraine's democracy as well. <laughs> Angelo, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us again. Thanks for having me. So, Angelo, uh, to start with, there's always been this sort of, I, I think, fiction, and I know you've written about this extensively, but this fiction that there's Fox News, the serious news organization during, you know, daytime hours, and then it's more wacko opinion um, people in the evening. We just had Chris Wallace leave, who was considered yep. by many to be a serious person. <clears throat> Is that fiction remotely? Can, can Fox News keep that up? What's happening in daytime Fox News these days? It is a it is a fiction, and it is a narrative that Fox has had to say because it insulates them from criticism, but to some from, from corporate criticism. It also helps them get legitimacy and from other journalists, but also from Democrats. One of the ways in which they convince people that they're an actual news organization instead of say a partisan operation is that they say, "Well, look at our news side; we're real news." And um, th- that's and as they say that, but we have all the data to back it up. So when we looked back at their COVID misinformation, any of their political misinformation, it's, it almost always is exactly the same. It parallels their, what they call their news side programming and their day side and their opinion programming. There's almost no difference when you start to break it down. So hydroxychloroquine, the claims about COVID, the caravans, it doesn't make a difference. You can point to all of their major narratives that they push and it will be nearly identical on their news, what they call their news programming and their opinion programming. So that's number one. Number two, they've kind of dropped the veneer a little bit because one of the things that they've done over the past two years is even if you look at the number of shows that they considered opinion versus news, they've been increasingly getting rid of those news programs and replacing them with opinion hosts. So they used to have a seven o'clock, what they call news program. Now it's hosted by in the morning uh, at night. Now it's, oh, called, now it's hosted by Jesse Waters, who's an, obviously a very clear opinion host. They've done the same thing with their nighttime programming. So even the little bit of programming that they de- did define as news, they've constantly scaled that back in recent years. And so it, it's not backed up by any of the data. Every time we've done a study, we always do it. To, we always look at how does that compare? How does their supposed news programming compare to their opinion programming? And while the tone may be slightly different, they're not as nasty as, say, Tucker, um, they're saying the same things. They're literally saying the same lies. And so I just, there's nothing to back that up, that truth. Not, not as nasty as Tucker Carlson is a low, it's low, a low bar. bar. It's a low it's bar. A low bar. <laughs> so or, we're glad that they're able to clear it uh, to, to establish their newsiness. Uh, anyway, I've been fascinated by this, you know, situation like the Putin's ru- invasion of Ukraine, um, how Russia, you know, has sort of turned on a dime in terms of like being a global pariah all of a sudden. You know, I have spent four years, uh, the whole Republican Party, basically, to some extent, allowing Trump to buddy up to Putin. And and, you know, Fox News didn't get in the way of that. Mm-hmm. And now, you know, we have polling from our polling outfit civics our sister organization that shows that even in the 70th percentile for republicans see russia and vladimir putin as a foe rather than a friend and i just wondering how you're seeing this squared or not squared as you're watching their coverage of of um the war you know it's been really disorienting especially if you're if you're a fox viewer it is confusing because on the one hand and i think this is where the the story gets a little messy. They're very willing to support the idea of or, or use Russia as a cudgel to attack Joe Biden. So that is pretty universal, which is that um, Joe Biden's messed up and any chance to attack Democrats is weak. They use this as an example of that. And that allows for people to diminish some of the complaints uh, or concerns about Russia because really they're saying, I, I can hate Russia, but also hate Joe Biden more. And that's a part of this is that it has a, a very consistent through line. But when you get past that one simple thing, which is what they all agree on, um, there's a real discrepancy. And they've managed to not have that internal friction. It hasn't really been a food fight, but there's a lot of, there's a couple passive aggressive things happening. So Tucker is deeply sympathetic to, to Russia, right? Because he's a hardcore ethno-nationalist and he loves it for that reason. Um, not just because he's an authoritarian, but because he's an ethno-nationalist. He likes it for the racism. Um, this is a, like, this is Tucker's dream. He's an ethno-nationalist and 
this is oh, a perfect illustration of that. No free press. Yep. Oligarchs are running yeah, the show. Hands yeah, down. This, is, yeah. this is perfect. I mean, this is really aligned with his worldview. And so he will literally promote Russian disinformation actively because it fits into his narrative. And, you know, the thing that's interesting about this is that Tucker will have a guest, for instance, right? And they'll be pushing Russian disinformation. Hannity, who obviously has an interest in using Russia as a mechanism to attack Joe Biden this week, but at the same point, reflecting what you talked about in your polling, which is that Russia's a foe, instead of he's never once been critical of Tucker Carlson or any of the sympathizers on Fox, there are others. Um, instead, he books the guests that were on these sympathetic shows and fights, literally tries to make them fight, carry the water for the host. So he did this thing with Tulsi Gabbard. She does an interview with Tucker. They both promote Russian disinformation. Hannity, who, by the way, never interviews Tulsi Gabbard, immediately schedules her for an interview two days later and starts to make her respond as if she was Tucker. And so they all <laughs> pretend like they're on different channels. And that's the that thing is that bizarre. is it's so that is weird. Bizarre. It's so weird. And if you're a personality watching this show, you know, you are disoriented at the end of the day because on the one hand, Tucker will tell you that the things you're seeing and hearing about mm -hmm. Russia's actions in Ukraine are fake. And it's all a scam to get us to go to war. And then five minutes later, Sean Hannity will say, why are we not being harder and doing more war and engaging in more violence to stop this? Right. We're not doing enough. And this is this is a weird disconnect that the audience, I think, is ignoring because they always wrap it up with this bow of but Joe Biden is so much worse. Right. Like and that is it. And that's uh, the, it is the one thing they can agree on. They can they all agree on that. Yeah. And yeah. it also is an illustration of how different the network is. Without Roger Ailes there, it shows the factions that the network really has sort of emerging. And that is a reflection of the larger Republican Party. Exactly. As a quick follow up on that, right, that's the McConnell wing of the party versus the Trump wing of the party to some extent. And just to follow up on that, who do you think is winning that? I mean, because I know Tucker Carlson is like their most celebrated star right now. So you you would you would think that Trump's winning that. Uh, in between those two factions. Marcos, you want to jump in? Yeah, yeah. No, Angela, before you answer that question, which is a great question, I just want to, some context for uh, listeners who may not, the t Mitch McConnell faction is sort of the old world, low taxes, Russia is bad, Republican Party. And mm -hmm. now you have Donald Trump, which is a populist, ethnocentric, racist, over overtly racist, populist wing of the party. And clearly they are, at this point, they're in open warfare. Yep. And so so what you just said, Angelo, and what Carrie's following up on, just to just to connect it all, is is that that this fight is now open it's starting to show up in Fox News itself. Yeah, it is. And if you know, it's hard to say who's winning, you know, because Tucker, because Hannity has a very deep interest in promoting the idea that Trump was always right and really trying to push that argument. But in a weird way, Tucker's winning. And the, if I, it depends on the metric, but the metric I use is behavior, right? What happens after they say these things? What does that do to the audience? And Fox's own data shows that the only person on their channel that has any meaningful ability to convert viewers into subscribers to subsequent Fox News things like Fox Nation, which is their streaming service and others, is Tucker. Nobody else has any conversion power for their audience or persuasive power. And that's revealing because when, you know, in the aftermath of, of the election, when Trump's, when the Fox audience was backlashing against them a little bit for not being supportive of Trump enough and not being defensive of even the attacks on January 6th, it was Tucker Carlson's face that they put out there as the face of Fox News and emphasized because he provided sort of a, a calming effect on the Fox audience. And so if you're just, if, if the question is, how do we assess who's winning that fight? It's not the old guard. It is really... This, this new Tucker version of, of, of the right wing. That's actually a really good transition uh, to January 6th coverage. Um, after it had happened, um, it seemed like Fox News, from what I saw, and I don't watch it as closely as you do, so I, I want you to sort of really sort of explain in a deeper level, but I saw the conversation going from these were heroes of democracy to they were hoodlums to they were Antifa, and it was yep. all a false flag to now they're heroes again. And it seemed like they just threw every possible narrative, none of them internally consistent, right? They're all sort of mutually exclusive. Yep. Something emerged from that. I mean, did I, did I see that correctly? You're right. And this actually ties in with the initial discussion we were having about what's the difference between news and opinion, because one of the big things that happened is there was this brief moment after the sixth where 
you know, Laura Ingram and Hannity floated this idea that it was Antifa. You know, then there was this brief period where it was like, oh, bad. All of that was bad. You should never attack the Capitol under any circumstances, right? We're anti-rioting. We just spent all summer of 2020 <laughs> right. complaining about rioting. We, we can't we can't say it's okay to attack the Capitol. Like, so there was actually a moment for, a, it lasted for a few days where Eighth. they were repeating what was largely the consensus in amongst Republican elite. And then it was Dana Perino and Brett Baer in toward the end of January that started to push the idea that it was unfair to call it an insurrection, that it was too strong of a word. Attack was too strong. Ooh, and okay. they, this is their supposed news side that was promoting that idea. And to your point, what ended up happening is after they started to float the idea that the news media was trying to make this seem worse than it was for political purposes, the entire tone of Fox's coverage changed after that. They almost gave, they opened the, they really opened the floodgates. And I think it would have happened either way. But in a weird way, it was Fox's news division that was front and center in, wait, we need to change the narrative that we can no longer use the word insurrection. Then it became, it went from, to your point, now we're just going to keep attacking the rest of the media for pushing this idea that it was bad. And then you ended up over the course of the year, one, they did a thousand interviews, segments with individual members of Congress that were uh, election deniers. So part of the insurrection caucus, right? So they actually shifted the quality of the guests. What Roger Ailes used to call this was outsourcing extremism. So when Glenn Beck was in trouble and they were getting rid of him, they still needed that, that, that little pepper. You know, you got to get that mess out there for your audience. So, but they couldn't get in trouble. So what they did is they started bringing on more people. He was like, well, outsource the extremism. Who cares? And it's cheaper. We don't have to pay him, right? And so they started doing that in that moment a decade ago. And then, you know, it's changed. They, they, that's what they did in, in last year is they started outsourcing the extremism by bringing on more guests, including these people that were down, counting the election. And within a whole year, you ended up with where they settled, which is that it was a false flag operation. Oh, that's the latest. That, that's uh, it. That is, that's where they've settled. That, that is just... That is just an unbelievable trajectory. You know, I, I wonder, do you think that because, you know, members of you talking about the members of Congress uh, coming on, talking about the election being stolen, et cetera. Uh, at some point, the, the members of there was that hearing with the uh, officers. Right. And mm -hmm. then there and right around that time, there are a bunch of congressional Republicans, if I recall correctly, who made the case that, oh, this was just a bunch of tourists having a, you know, a big day in Washington. And it just perhaps slid a little bit awry, you know, I mean, whatever, I don't know. I was just like, it was baffling. I, you, you know, we saw these people just making crazy, crazy rationalizations for what was going on. But did that happen? Do you think that Fox helped open the gate to that narrative so that Republicans in Congress picked up on it or Republican or were Republicans in Congress already saying that? And then Fox sort of picked up on that narrative. I mean, there was few people that were saying that were willing to go that far to diminish and downplay. It's one thing to say, I don't think this was the worst thing in the world. I don't think this was not 11. Maybe the news media is being a little dramatic, but it was pretty hard to find it as the consensus that what took place. And it gets back to the dichotomy you drew before, which started with Mitch McConnell. You know, this was, he was like, he was pretty clear. It was bad. It's not good. You can't tap the Capitol, you know? And that was don't not like, you're right. What, <laughs> you, what a, what a, what a, what a, what a, it's like a, a pretty low ball. Yes. Um, yeah, he, he was out on the limb, but he still, but he still <laughs> voted to, uh, sure you know, did. to, yeah, to let, let Trump off the hook. That's right. And the chance to vote, you know, and they, they, that was like, the consensus was that the Capitol attack bad. And like, we're just not going to have, you know, there was a few outliers. Fox, they weren't the only ones doing it, but they were, you know, they still have an enormous agenda setting power. And, they created a, you know, just by who they booked during that time period, right? Yeah. The overemphasis on, on electeds that were pushing those conspiracies um, and those claims, it changes the narrative because it creates a different permission structure. And once they started to inject the ideas that it was a false flag operation, that it was a setup, that it was being purely done to attack Donald Trump, it wasn't that bad, it's over-dramatized, it started to chip away at the, the consensus that had emerged. And that's, that's really the destructive power here is that you take this one thing where in a brief moment, largely we all agree, it's like not okay. And they turned it into another political issue, almost like they did with COVID, right? I mean, it, 
most people thought COVID was scary and bad until Fox was like, oh, it's not that bad. And hydroxychloroquine will fix you. And like, it's all a setup to make Donald Trump look bad. And you chip away at that, you know, and you do hundreds of segments, thousands of, of, of claims. You know, I think in 2020, uh, there was 13,400 individual instances of COVID misinformation on Fox News. You do that enough, you know, and you tell people they need to be on the streets to get freedom. You change the consensus around it. And that's, I think, part of what happened. I don't think it was purely driven by Fox, but I think that they helped expand the space for that to become much more in doubt. And that's, that's a real powerful thing um, is second you create that doubt. Do you have a sense from a, from a sort of objective standpoint, how powerful that actually is? How does it move public opinion? And I guess there's several levels, right? The base, the broader Republican Party, the D.C. influencers, maybe even Democrats themselves and broader America. And I would even be interested in bringing it down to your level. You're watching thousands of these hours and somehow you're still a well-adjusted human being. How powerful is that messaging? We, we don't know that, Marcos. We yeah, no, I don't know. Yeah, we don't. <laughs> I was going to say, that's a big... Um, I, I, <laughs> we just like the spin. I mean, I'm how happy to take it. Um, I mean, look, here's a good example. You know, obviously, it's not just my impression base, but let's go with what we know Fox heavily pushed, right? And how did that affect things? So, two thirds of Republicans that watch Fox News believe there's evidence of voter fraud in 2020, right? So, that's the first thing is that if you're a Fox News viewer and you're a Republican, and this was done a year ago. That analysis, two-thirds, you're likely to believe that there was concrete, straight-up evidence of voter fraud, right? And which is a parrot of Fox's perception. That was not the case in December of, of 2020, but a few months later, their promotion of the evidence of that narrative changed the not like that they didn't like the outcome, but that they actually thought there was actual evidence. They really believe, like, hey, there's actually proof that there was voter fraud. The other thing is um, if if you're 61% of people who get their news from Fox News believe that the COVID death toll is exaggerated. That number does not align with non-Fox viewers, even conservatives, right? So, you know, you can start to piece that together and say, okay, how much can they actually influence people both directly and indirectly? And that number is pretty consistent across the board, that if you're a regular Fox viewer and that is helping shape your worldview, your perception um, is going to be distinct from uh, the reality. I think that the, uh, there was a study done a while ago, I think it was Pew, that showed that um, if you watched, watching Fox News, if you're a regular Fox viewer, you were fundamentally less informed than if you received no information at all. Um, and that, that it actually was a net negative. And they ran all these, they did this big study, and it showed that watch, by being a regular Fox viewer, you were better off nothing. Like if getting nothing, you were more likely to get the answers correct. Because um, negative to... Still, yes. you still have common sense at that point. Correct. I mean, common that's sense right. is still working right. for you yeah. at that point. You that's know what it. I mean? Like someone asks you something that com- seems completely like, you know, stupidly obvious. Like, do you think a coronavirus that's killed, you know, millions of people and around the globe is probably a problem? Well, yeah, you do. If you haven't been watching Fox News. Right. Right. I mean, you know, so anyway, sorry, Marcos, you were. No, I was going to say it's a net negative for society in general. And for reality, it's a positive for the conservative movement because, you know, as as Stephen Colbert once said, reality has a well-known liberal bias. Right. Mm -hmm. So they have to actually undermine that. They can't operate in in the in the sort of info space of truth. They have to create this alternate bubble with alternate facts in order to be able to continue to make the kind of arguments that they're making here. I mean, one example here. And I'm curious how much Fox has to do with this. Right. We have we have one of the lowest unemployment rates in American history. In fact, the unemployment report a couple of weeks ago, or maybe it was last week, was the smallest number of new claims since 1962, when the size of the United States was, you know, a fraction of what it was today. And uh, wages, American wages are the highest in the world by average and the highest that they ever been. People are making more money. We have this issue of inflation, right, which, which is likely related to the overheated economy coming out of covid the broader media can't stop talking about inflation, right? They, they, they ignore all these other components. They can't stop talking about inflation. Now, I'm going to assume that Fox News is, a, is certainly driving the inflation uh, narrative. Are they impacting the broader media in doing so? Or is this just one of those cases where the media in general 
you know, is, is predisposed to focus on the negative instead of the positive. I think this is an example where the mainstream media is part of the problem, right? Because they do want to, they are going to focus on the negative and they're not telling the comprehensive story about a lot of the other improvements or the meaningful things that have, that have taken place. They just, they haven't. I mean, there's lots of evidence of that. Like when the AP headline a couple of months ago showed that 200,000 jobs were added under Biden and they called it sluggish and 200,000 jobs added under Trump and they called it robust and amazing growth. Same article, same headline, right? Yeah. I mean, that is not, nothing to do with Fox. That is just that they've so internalized the idea that, that they've so internalized this discrepancy and double standard that they don't even need the right-wing media to, to pressure them anymore. They act accordingly. Uh, we see that a lot in climate change. And look, we see that a lot with some of the LGBT coverage, right? I mean, the way that the mainstream media has dealt with some of the bathrooms claims and a lot of what's taking place is not, it, it is, they are responding to right-wing nonsense, but they're also doing a pretty bad job themselves. I mean, when you're quoting the ADF as just a Alliance Defending Freedom as just a, a friendly Christian organization, as opposed <laughs> to the hate group that they are, that has Man. nothing to do with Fox, right? That is, that is you being bad. So in this case, they're, now they are a big driver of it. Obviously, they put much more misinformation around it, around inflation and, the, and the, it, the, who's the cause and the consequences. But that's an example of, of a double standard that has long existed. Now, on the other hand, what I would say is that Fox goes one step further, obviously, because tied into this economic argument is this broad idea that Biden is doing this because it's part of a larger strategy of great replacement. I mean, they're just, they're the ones Ooh. taking the inflation narrative and being like, oh, and by the way, here's this massive anti-Semitic conspiracy theory please, that we like to tell please you Please explain that. Please yes, explain. Yeah, there's yeah. this theory that Joe Biden is just, and this is not just Joe Biden, it's a longstanding anti-Semitic conspiracy theory that elites are trying to destroy the economy and at the same time, in fl flood in the country with immigrants because they're trying to replace white Americans with people of color um, because it's part of this larger strategy that they call the Great Replacement Theory. And that's going to give them permanent political power that they'll never lose an election. And so give tied them, into that is the Democrats. big liberal elites and black yes. people. So they're yeah, basically right. importing people. people to vote. Yeah. And it all is all and they go hand in hand that part of this. Yeah. Is that you use inflation, you don't take certain steps, right? Because you are actually trying to do this on purpose. So the, the argument of that that exists on Fox, that thankfully I haven't seen yet filter over to the rest of the reporting, is that, that not only is, inf is inflation really, really exaggerated and bad and terrible, but it's also part of this, you know, it's incredible. Joe Biden, they say, is both sick, decrepit, not able to function, is sleepy, but at the same time, He's a criminal mastermind that is orchestrating hundreds of thousands of new people into the country on a regular basis and simultaneously subjugating most of white America because he's replacing them with people of color. So like it is this incredible gap between the way they're trying to present him. But that is the Fox narrative that the inflation is part of this larger strategy to continue to suppress, subjugate, weaken white Americans because they are trying the Democrats, Biden being the principle of that are trying to replace you with people of color so that they can have permanent political power. So I'm failing to see the logic, the connection. Is there a logic connecting them? Or no, is this just, just like throw crazy. everything? Yeah, just yeah throw, it. throw it all. It's like, it doesn't oh, matter. Bad, obviously. scary things. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. yeah I no. thought I had missed it. I was like, I must have missed it. There's no it. connection. I'm sorry. Marcos. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I'll ask Marcos what the, what the rationale is between, you know, connecting one with the other. I thought I totally missed it. No. But no. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, at least when Roger Ailes was there, he would have asked the question you asked, Marcos, which is like, I'm all for the racism and us <laughs> making this crazy attack against Democrats. But like, we have to connect the dots between inflation and like this white supremacist conspiracy. Fox News these days, their standards have gotten so low, like, nah, we don't really need to do they, that. We they can, don't have to. They no. don't have to connect the dots. No, they don't. They, they really don't. don't. And so the two do go hand in hand on Fox. And if you watch Fox, it is there's a it is a not an unintentional juxtaposition to talk about the economic conditions. And the, I think the connective tissue they would argue is that the lack of Biden embracing the policies of Trump and Republicans is because he very deliberately doesn't care because if white Americans felt empowered, they would be more likely to stop this invasion. So Biden just hates white people. That yes. makes a lot of sense. No, he does. Um, that's, yes, that's right. If you watch Fox, then that is the argument. Biden is very much opposed to to that. And, you know, if you think about it, though, if you're a regular Fox viewer who's sitting there six, eight, seven hours a day, you know, the justice, of, you know, uh, Justice Jackson's you know, nomination and then certain confirmation, right? It all reinforces this idea that somehow Biden is doing, wow, he made a pledge 
to only nominate a black woman like that. If you watch Fox, they all make it tie together, or at least they put enough pieces on the table where it feels like they're part of the same game. When in, in fact, it's just basically a bunch of junk. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's that, you know, just throw enough facts out there or I mean, not facts, throw enough, you know, crap out there and people yeah. just start to believe stuff, you know, it's totally. like, um, you know, let me, let me just, I, I will say about mainstreamers and inflation mainstream reporters is that it's very easy for them to grab onto that issue because it has dragged down presidents in the past. So it's something that, you know, they're like, oh, they're always looking for factors that have dragged down presidents in the past. And maybe yes. inflation is something that's, you know, that's proven bad True. Um, all, all along this narrative of the white, you know, the party in power loses seats in the midterms, et cetera. Let me just... Oh, yeah, sir, go ahead. No, I was going to one point on that because I think that's, you know, they talk a lot about inflation. I think that would be fine. But what frustrates me about a lot of the coverage is that they don't talk about the lack of wages, which is that because of the Republicans filibustering and stopping so much of the legislation and killing so many pieces of bills, Americans saw a significantly larger wage reduction as a result of the Republican policies than inflation. Inflation would not feel as bad as it is if many of the policies like the child tax credit and these other things that they were pushing through went through, I mean, average Americans were seeing a 20, 20% reduction in wages simply by Republicans stopping very basic things that were part of the Biden agenda, right? And you never hear right. that in coverage. You never hear how much you, of these policies actually affect people's pockets. You, right. You, you don't hear enough of that. And part of that, I'm not going to blame this all on Democrats, but part of that is Democrats not doing the best job of, of, of creating the juxtaposition that they, you know, it, prosecuting it in a way that implicates right. Republicans as the blockers of these very good uh, economic ideas and plans that would actually help people. Totally. Whether whether this inflationary environment, yeah. right? Yeah, in theory, selling so, something good should be easy. Um, and uh, in, in, in universe, theory, in theory, but, um, yeah. But but Joe Manchin <laughs> and Kirsten Sinema made have made sure that selling something good is really a, a fool's errand for um, for Democrats. So let me just um, switch gears real quick. I did want to ask this because this is something that I've heard Marcos bring up at least tan- tangentially in the past, which is, you know. With the start of Ukraine, I think, uh, and and this invade this this really aggressive and brutal and bloody war um, that is targeting civilians, and it's just it's you know it's horrible. We're all watching it unfold on our screens, and you know, and I think you know you just have a tendency to take stock as a human being and think, gosh, you know, I I may not have everything I want, you know, not you know maybe I don't have the perfect job or the perfect house or the perfect spouse or whatever it is, but. Boy, we're in a lot better situation than, you know, like, look at what's happening to these people. This is just horrific, you know, and you start to feel like, wow, um, it sort of changes your the framework, your perception. And I just wonder, are you seeing any of that on Fox in terms of like, you know, that everyone was all animated and agitated, et cetera, about, you know, all these Fox viewers and the right wingers about masking policies. They're horrible. They're taking away our freedoms, you know, like that, that stuff. Like in the face of something like Ukraine, where people are really fighting for freedom, they're really fighting fascism. They're, do they have know, perspective? <laughs> yeah, yes. Is there, I mean, so do you think that those, do they have perspective, which that's asking a lot, but do they have perspective? And, and are those masking policies that so, you know, that people were so pissed off about and whatever, like, have they lost a little bit of juice on the right? You know, it's interesting. I, I mean, I don't think that they've, they, there's certainly no perspective on, on Fox when it comes to the scale of the, of the, of the tragedy and the, the implications and effects of all this. I mean, you know, they took there's so a good chunk of Fox hosts that consistently push the idea that President Zelensky is a corrupt thug. And, you know, and then you hear that reflected back by Republican Congress people like Madison Cawthorn and others, but it's, it is not, it doesn't begin with those people. They're just re- echoing back what they're hearing in a chunks of Fox. And, and, you know, so there is a part here where, no, they haven't really been terribly reflective about it, um, even when it hit really close to home. I mean, a Fox, you know, a fo- a, a, one Fox employee was, was killed, another was deeply injured as a result of these Russian attacks. Yeah, lost both his legs. Yeah. And there's no, there hasn't been a deep, like, wow, we really, this is a real fight here for freedom um, and democracy. It's not about that. It's actually virtually all the coverage 
centers around the idea that this is Joe Biden's fault. And that the one thing that you're left with is this impression that by that Trump that Putin did not do this when Trump was in power, but he did it when Uh. Biden was in power because Biden and Democrats are weak. And there is, it's so deeply internal with them. And I think that is, you know, I I don't want to say they're broken because that almost gives them a pass. There's a malevolence that prevents them from thinking about, to your point, this reflection and what does this mean? And whenever it sort of, cuts through a tiny bit, it, it gets lost almost immediately by somebody else. Like, you know, occasionally it'll pepper through and then Puro will say something obnoxious and terrible about Joe Biden, how it's like, it, it's his fault that those children got killed. Um, and so, you know, that's, that ignores the larger point, right? And, uh, and I wish that that would have been a moment where there was a little bit of reflection and that's just not the case. And, you know, there, I, and it's not a surprise because one of the things that stuck out, and I think the mass thing is a good example. You know, there was a, a while back, there was uh, when, when there was all this fear about state troopers and police and law enforcement quitting, there was a, a, a law enforcement officer, a state trooper in Seattle that uh, quit because of the mask mandate and vaccine mandates. And he quit. And when he quit, he signed off. He made this big rant about the governor and mm-hmm. uh, Fox loved him. I mean, they had him on the air all the time. Uh, and uh, because he was not going to get the vaccine and th- he was doing segments and they really, they boosted him out. Great for him. What a hero. He quit. He died. He died of COVID. He got sick and died. And um, they never mentioned it once. Never. They never, in fact, no. this, the most messed up evil thing. And I think this ties into the intentionality is that when he died, obviously people were pointing out this discrepancy that here's this person that Fox had boosted for not getting the vaccine, for sticking, for encouraging others not to do that. The day, he, the day after he died, Fox News did a series of segments for two days saluting the heroes of, that were fighting these lockdowns and fighting COVID <laughs> policies, right? So instead yeah. of talking about him and just – it would have been better if they just ignored it. Instead, they found other people to promote so that they didn't even have to grapple with the reality of what it was that they were encouraging people to do, which at that time was not to get the vaccine. And I do think the two go hand in hand because – it, they're so blinded by both their par- partisanship and ideology and to some extent the malevolence that um, it doesn't feel like there's ever a reflection moment. And that's really both scary, but also sad um, and says a lot about all of us because we have to deal with this and the fallout from it. It makes, it affects all of our lives. So whether or not we watch Fox or not, it, it still has an effect. Yeah. The, ma- the malevolence is, is real. And I, I've seen so many people say things like, why, why do Russians believe Russian propaganda? Russia doesn't even have alternate viewpoints anymore. Like we right. actually have alternate viewpoints and Fox news has completely brainwashed a significant portion of our population. And, and you mentioned that a lot of it is ideological and partisan. And so that leads into 2022, the midterm elections. Do you have a sense yet what that Republican message is going to be hitting into 2022? Yeah, it's definitely clear. You know, they, they run a very similar playbook each midterm cycle. Um, it changes in, you know, in 2014, it was Ebola. You know, the, you know, back in the day, <laughs> yeah, it was Ebola. Back in 2014, the biggest conversation narrative on Fox News was that Barack Obama was not doing enough to stop Ebola. That, that is just unbelievable. God, I just. It was the major theme. And it, it, it really like was like people, too. I, yeah, it was an effect. It was like, well, Obama is so bad about viruses. Can you believe this? He's like, and like, they really made it a thing. In, mm-hmm. in, pre, in other cycles, it was the caravan. And what scares me is there's always a relationship between we do the analysis of Fox coverage and hyping something. And then you can see the rest of the news media follows a week or so later because they can create a threat that becomes an issue. So whether it's migrant caravans, this cycle, it, it is going to be culture war stuff because it does allow for people like Joe Scarborough and others to you know, pat themselves on the back. Oh, I'm not into this culture war stuff. And, and it creates a schism and an internal food fight amongst the left because it forces us to seemingly make a choice between the, our winning elections and the values that we say we have, right? And that is, it is always a winning position for them. And what they're going to do is fear monger about children and the, yeah, yeah that's it. They're going to fear monger about children and that, that somehow they're being, uh, yeah, this is pedophile. Yeah, it's a it. weird pedophile grooming. The gay, yes. the gay community is grooming children. Te- teachers are grooming children. It's, it's bizarre. It's straight out of QAnon. It is. And it's, it's jumped over. It has. And this is going to be the dominant theme that Democrats are out there. You know, it, 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 the guys will be parental rights, but the big bottom line picture will be that Democrats are out there, you know, pushing their agenda on children in an inappropriate way. And it allows them to, you know, walk, to really 
push on LGBT rights. And, and that whole range, it allows for a whole range of local panics and a lot of misinformation. It lets them take control uh, and find any little thing, whether it's fabricated or not, and elevate it into a major controversial story. And that's going to be their big push, is going to be around what, what they consider to be culture war um, uh, themes. And it seems like that will be their, uh, just based off past experience and where they are now and how they're diverting their resources, that's going to be the dominant narrative. And I think you can expect a real intense hyping beyond what we've anything. It's going to be like war on Christmas level. Yeah. Like this is ha- yeah. You have other examples. We, you have the, the pedophile gays are grooming children to become sex slaves or whatever. Yeah. In Tra- uh, tra- trans transports will be, uh, you know, schools, okay. to, will, uh, um, a little bit of the cancel culture stuff, but that always gets tied into the side. A lot of it is going to be at the school board level and it's going to mm-hmm. be specifically focused on curriculum, which is that can- they're changing textbooks oh, to promote critical race theory. That's it. Exactly. Yeah. Black- so yeah. can I just, can I just say that there isn't any polling that says that they're on the right side on this? So th- there's no polling, you know, so it, I just need to, I just want to remind people that the, that these, that for mainstream America, these, these issues don't really have currency and even the wins that they think they've had on them politically haven't really, you know, panned out like in Virginia, they were like, Oh, critical race theory, theory really won it for us. Well, it turns out there was a big, huge silver wave of older folks who voted, who had never voted before right. um, or who didn't vote in the last election. And we, we know that through a study and, you know, and it was those older, older voters weren't voting on critical race theory and education. They were not. That's right. Um, so, you know, that's one thing. I mean, I think there were just elections in, in Wisconsin and I was hearing mm-hmm. Ben Wickler talk about them and he was saying, you know, he's like a, he's a chair of the Wisconsin Democratic Party. Right. Chair of the Wisconsin Democratic Party. And and th- those issues didn't play as well in a lot of places, even in some rural rural areas for Republicans as they as you know, Republicans think they will. So this is a purely goose the base, you know, juice the base yep. strategy. That's it's it. not it's not mainstream. It is, and it is part. It is reflective of a larger approach that they seem to be taking now, which is increasingly to organize power on what used to be considered the fringes. You know, Trump expanded his base in twenty. He was his theory of expanding the base in twenty twenty was correct. He did add new voters. Right. Yeah. Um, they organized power on the fringes, and that is that's a that is a scary thing, right? Because that raises that pulls people into the fold that have not been participants in theory for a reason, but they that. It, that is where they're organizing power. And it is a little unsettling um, because that, that increasingly we see the, the shift in tone, even on Fox. And that is, there has been a slight change in the way in their willingness to talk about these things. And, you know, if the rest of the right-wing media is any indicator, you know, there's a real jump from not just pushing on trans rights, but then also to then broadly talk about marriage equality, gay rights. Like this has been a thing now where they've started to expand out their attacks. And it really has been a big push on protect children, protect our culture. It is, it is a, for them, at least it is an, it's a purely about, like you said, goose in the base. It's an engagement strategy. It helps them organize power, which they then, and pulling the worst people in, you know, what happens, other people duck and cover, you know, the scarier the attacks are, you naturally withdraw typically when you're under assault and um, they, they are disproportionately going to target marginalized groups uh, which makes it easier to not just organize people and get them out there, but also neutralize potential opposition. Yeah. And, and to be clear, this is not popular with the American electorate, broader American electorate, yeah. but very popular with their electorate. In yeah. 2022 is a base election. That's it. Whoever gets more of their voters out is going to win. So they don't care about trying to get, you know, independents or Democrats to believe this stuff. They want to get their own people in their bubble to, uh, you know, get angry, that's angry right. enough that they're going to turn out and vote. That's yeah, exactly that's, right. So it's, and uh, there's no limbo anymore. So, you know, you don't have that steady drumbeat out there to function as that get out the vote operation. So part of it is that there is this void that needs to be filled um, to some extent. And this has been the thing that has seemed to get the most traction because, you know, it, it does, it is deeply important to an audience that they've, that's, that's a big part of the right now. So we're almost out of time. So I want to I want to spend these last few minutes talking about this is something I know you, you really focus on a lot is what can people do yep. to stop funding 
Fox News directly because a lot of people are directly funding Fox News, even though they don't realize that they're funding Fox News. Yeah. What can they do to combat Fox News? I mean, we just saw that this is this strategy will work. So the dirty secret about Fox News is that they do not need a single TV commercial. They could have zero dollars in ad revenue and they would still have a 90% profit margin. And that is because they are the second most expensive channel on everybody's cable box. Um, ESPN is number one. Fox News is number two. They're like hmm, about four times more than CNN, you know, about eight times more than MSNBC. Um, their, their price per subscriber that each cable company gives them is really, really, really high. Um, and that's not because of viewership. Yeah. It's like four bucks, right? A month. It's it's right now two fifty a little yeah. give or take. They're trying to go up to three fifty. Um, that's that's and that's what's happening at the end of the year. Fox is renegotiating all of their contracts, um, and so they're every cable company is forcing their customers to not just pay for Fox News, but overpay for Fox News, which gives them an enormous amount of revenue. That means that unlike other TV ch- channels, which require commercials, Fox does not. That is the dirty secret. And that means they can do things like Tucker and not have to worry about the blowback from advertisers. And that allows them to, t- to do a lot of the stuff that we've talked about with impunity. So what can people do? Well, we just saw what they did with One American News. DirecTV was, had One American News. They were overpaying for it. They dropped them. And why did they drop them? Because customers called enough of them and complained. And what that does is affect something called the demand score. It's what every cable company uses to decide whether or not they're not just going to carry a channel, but how much they're going to pay for it. And so enough people call DirecTV to get them to drop them. Same thing with Fox. People call. They say they don't want to pay for Fox News. Even Fox Business gets more money for Fox News than MSNBC does. They have 10,000 viewers. And yet they get paid more than MSNBC does per subscriber. That's just to show you how much they stack the decks in their favor. And so if these cable companies drop Fox business or even just hold the line or reduce their fees for Fox News, Fox News will no longer be a profitable company in a year. That's the simple answer is that they, people can call. And I promise you, every cable company logs it is extremely important for them. It's like a thing that they track is, and that's what Fox does. Fox has their viewers call. You ever watch, you know, don't ever watch Fox, but if you do, a lot of their hosts always say, make sure you call your company and demand it, demand it. They use the word demand because they know that if this thing is called the demand score. So all people have to do, call their cable company, tell them they don't want to pay for Fox News anymore. Everything gets logged and tracked. It's what happened with One American News. There will be a moment starting in the fall when Fox News restarts their negotiations. um, And this is going to affect the outcome of Fox News, not just in the moment, but what takes place during that four month period of time is going to shape what Fox News is required to do over the next few years. So this is a real pivot point in not just the short term, but also what's going to happen to the landscape over the long term. And that's the answer. People have to call, they have to complain. Um, or cut the cord. Simple. Or cut the cord. Or cut the Cancel cord. entirely. And make sure they know you're doing it because you're forcing them to pay right. for Fox. And it's the simplest, most important thing people can do in this moment. It really will make a difference it's what happened with DirecTV and One American News. It is why One American News got dropped. It's because consumers called DirecTV. And just to put a bow on it, there are 3 million Fox viewers. There are 87 million people that never, ever turn on Fox News but have a cable subscription. So the numbers are really lopsided here. And there is no reason for Fox to be the second most expensive channel. And this is a good old-fashioned consumer campaign. Fox does it. Other consumers have never done it. It's time for that to happen. They yell really loud, and then they that do. gives them the power to yep. to squeeze out the most. Angela, unfortunately, that's all the time we have. God, time goes by fast. And, uh, and he dangled the name of Madison Cawthorn in front of us, and I'm I sorry. never got back I to resist. it. Oh, it's a bummer. I, <laughs> I wanted to know how Fox was handling the orgies. So anyway, <laughs> oh, Angela, what yeah. can people do with Media Matters? How, how can they interact? MediaMatters.org. And you have a newsletter and yep, we'll uh, sign up. We'll get the emails. They can also follow us on social media. All that stuff is right on the website. So yeah, brilliant. All right, Angelo, thank you so thank very you. much. Always, Always so talk. great to have you on. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Bye-bye. Carrie, um, I, we may need to follow up on cutting the cord. We, I, I think wanna... so. I was t- absolutely thinking that. Absolutely. I am an expert in cutting the cord. Uh, it's something that, um, that I think is absolutely critical that we liberals stop funding. We're literally, if you have cable or satellite, you are funding Fox News. You're you're getting, you're paying Tucker Carlson's salary amongst the whole motley crew of, of uh, degenerate liars on Fox News. So 
it may be worth our while to really spend a little bit of time talking about cutting the cord. I f- I, and I feel like we could put together a campaign, you know, ways to screw Fox News. Um, you know, <laughs> one is talking about the, you know, c- the demand score calling in saying, yep. I don't I don't want that channel. I don't want to overpay for it. Um, one is cutting the cord. We could probably come up with a couple others. So, you know, I think we could, I mean, we could talk about it here on the show, but I think we could also have a, do a couple a, a series over the course of a month um, in preparation for trying to undercut their ability to reposition themselves and demand even more money um, come the fall, right? Angela was saying they're going to renegotiate these uh, yeah. contracts in the fall. And it's also targeting their advertisers because that's the thing. I mean, they may not need advertisers, but that's that's cushion in their bottom line that they can then funnel into paying for their hosts, uh, paying them more down the line. And really, do we want to do we want to do we really want to be part of padding Fox News profits? You know, we, we no. don't. Of course, we Ugh, don't. No. All right, Carrie, that's all the time we have. Thank you so much. Thanks to Angelo for joining us and having this incredible conversation about Fox News. Thanks to the entire brief team behind that scenes uh, here at Daily Coast. You know, it's Walter and Kara and Dorothy and Carolyn. And thank you, the viewer and the listener, for joining us. We have an incredibly important election this November. And I know we haven't really focused a lot on elections, but it's, it's coming. It's happening. This is all related. It's all of a piece. And we need to be active and we need to get your network involved and engaged and really aware of the of the of what is at stake this november i think our democracy is at stake so thank you so much for being part of the show and and being active in our democracy and i'm so glad to have you by our sides fighting this good fight absolutely absolutely thanks for joining us this week catch you all next week bye-bye Thank you for listening. If you're enjoying the show, give us a rating wherever you get your podcast. You can always talk to us at DailyCoast.com or on Twitter at DailyCoast. See you next week.